Hello and welcome to the second edition of Downs Your Way, the Rebecca Downs podcast. I'm Colin Speller and today I will be interviewing Steve Burkett. Good morning. Good morning, Colin. Good morning, the world out there in podcast land. I'd just like to point out it's Wednesday morning and it's stopped raining. <laughs> well, that's a that's a breakthrough. It is. Uh, we've had biblical, rain of biblical proportions. in Cats and dogs living together. Absolutely. Um, so for those who don't know. Steve is the co-songwriter, mm -hmm. the lead guitarist, mm -hmm. a vocalist, mm -hmm. backing vocalist, mm -hmm. a duetting vocalist, Indeed. Um, a multi-instrumentalist, uh, and the man who basically takes ideas scratched out on a, an acoustic guitar halfway through a conversation, uh, in my experience anyway, of uh, talking to Rebecca and suddenly she rushes out of the room oh, I've get, got an idea I've got an idea you get that as well yeah I occasionally rush out of the room sometimes it's to put an idea out there and sometimes it's to get away from Birmingham City on the telly <clears throat> and he takes those ideas and transforms them into something something quite amazing and we will be looking into that process somewhere down the track but the the title of this edition is back to the start number two and what I want to do, Steve, is take you right back to the beginning. Um, right, right back to the beginning period. We'd go back to the beginning of music, but also the beginning of, of you. So oh, yeah. where, where did it all begin? For where you? did it all begin? It began for me in Marston Green Hospital. People who know Birmingham would know that that was the, the maternity hospital. We lived on a route to the maternity hospital. And you could see men with bunches of flowers going off on the number, I think it was the number seven at the time, or it could be the 14, can't remember. It's a long time ago. But yeah, Marston Green in Birmingham actually, well, I actually lived in Sheldon, but that was the nearest hospital. Sheldon, sort of little suburb of Birmingham. Um, I lived sort of on the edges of that. Um, and that's where I lived for 10 years and uh, went to junior school, all the rest of it. Uh, and then at the age of 10, my dad died and uh, we moved. We moved to, to Solway Hall and uh, changed, changed schools. Uh, didn't move that far into Solway Hall, but you know, still just on the edge of Birmingham. So my roots are in Birmingham and in the in the area around it, and that's where I grew up, and that's where I started to learn to play, although I didn't really learn to play until until I got into my oh, early teens, really, and um, I'd always plonked around on a, a funny little ukulele thing that I ended up putting garden string onto, um, just pretending to be whoever happened to be, I don't know, Eddie Cochran or Frank Ifield. <laughs> but, yeah, I used to, I used to try I to say yodel. George Foley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could be. I, I used to try and yodel. If anybody remembers Frank Ifield, really giving my age away here. Um, he, he was this sort of yodeling Australian uh, singer uh, who was very popular at the time. Um, so, yeah, I suppose, actually, in terms of music, I was singing before I was playing, let's put it that way, the singing thing came first, school choirs are the usual carry-on, I seem to remember taking part in a choir competition at one point, um, can't remember what we sang, but yeah, they, they bust us out to somewhere posh, and we, we were sort of the, the scruffy urchins from the suburbs who went somewhere posh and had to sing this song, we didn't know what the hell it was all about, but it was, it was a bit of fun. 
Well, it's uh, yeah. Well, it's, uh, that's that's an interesting connection because uh, had that had that competition been across a wider geographic spread, you could have looked across the room and seen yours truly in a in an opposing choir. <laughs> yeah. So that takes me back a, a long, long. You way. could have been the bunch we had a scrap with in the playground. <laughs> oh, oh, almost, almost certainly. <laughs> um, okay, so you said you know you, you started to play. You started with the ukulele. Had that, what happened then? Where where did you go from that point? Well, I mean, just to, just to go back to the starting to play bit, um, I got my first sort of guitar. It was a little acoustic thing, like most people end up with a battered thing. First thing I did was painted purple. Um, I'm not quite sure why. Just had some spare purple paint, and I thought it'd be a good idea at the time. Um, and I le- learned to play with it open tuned. Um, and then realised that hang on, this uh, this isn't the, the standard way of playing it. So I then had to sort of learn again. But actually, here's an interesting point, folks. Um, later on, that open tuning is what I use for a couple of the slide songs that we do. So um, Big Sky uses that open tuning. Believe uses that open tuning. Um, so, yeah, there's a, it all sort of came full circle at that point. But, yeah, I learned on an acoustic guitar. Um, and eventually, probably by the age of 15, uh, I managed to blag a second-hand guitar off somebody. It was a Futurama Deluxe 2. Uh, apparently, they're sort of fairly sought after in the, here's an interesting NAF guitar department, um, and an old amp. And we started playing uh, sort of, Freeform jazz, if you like, people like Alice Coltrane and what have you, because um, we were in grammar school and we thought it was an intelligent thing to do, <laughs> you know. Um, and it was fairly easy to play, you know. You just pick out a, a, an interesting Dorian mode and, and noodle around on that. Um, the first gig um, in that format was at a place in Solihull, and it was called the Carpet Club. Anybody who knows Solihull, Hall, the Bruton Park, there's a little uh, little house which, which eventually got knocked down. We played there, we played about three numbers, and uh, they had to enter the place because it was absolutely rammed and there was a fire risk, and the police turned up. How rock and roll is that? First gig and the police turned up. And stopped it. That's, that's, amaz- that's amazingly rock and roll. So just, just winding back, we were you sort of formally taught or self-taught? No, so self-taught. The only formal teaching I had, again, was in singing. And we had a, a rather ambitious choir master at, uh, at school, secondary school. And um, he decided we were going to do Haydn's Messiah. And he brought in a, an orchestra and soloists and all the rest of it. And that's the first time I had to do anything from written music. And I didn't really know what it was all about. Um, but I could follow the dots up and down. <laughs> it went as far <laughs> as that. Oh, that dot's gone up, I've got to sing high. Um, but, yeah, I remember um, the, the Haydn's Messiah did something about displaying the firmament came into it somewhere. That's all I can remember. Well, schoolboy giggles followed, no doubt. But, yeah, well, that's another interesting collection because we did exactly the same. We must have had a, we must have had a music master of similar ambition because we were always... You know, he's always trying to go bigger and better with stuff like yeah. that. So, first gig, police turn up and stop it. That obviously didn't discourage you. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, and, and then I started doing some uh, more sort of poppy, rocky stuff, but only in people's 
bedrooms and what have you. We didn't actually go out and, and play much. Um, but all the time you're sort of learning, learning about the guitar and sort of formulating theories about it that, that later you, you realise, oh yeah, that's that scale, that's that mode, that's that particular minor sixth, etc. Um, and really the, the, the first proper thing I did was a singer-songwriter uh, with an acoustic guitar and we've gone right on now to teachers training college because went to university, played little bits of guitar but not much really, just messing around. Um, and then, yeah, at teachers training college, um, I started started writing and uh, got up and did a, did a few little spots at the folk, uh, folk club, that sort of thing, and uh, went down very well. Pretty soon realised that playing on your own is a pretty scary experience, to be honest, especially when you're doing it for the first time. Everybody's hanging on your every word, hopefully, and uh, you're just hoping I can get the yellow taxi down without some bust in the stream or whatever. So, yeah, that was my first thing, singer-songwriter. And to be honest, that's more or less where it stayed because whatever I've done other than covers bands from then on, um, has been songwriting and um, songwriting and arranging. So it, you said it was scary to be on your top. So at what point did you gravitate into a band? Not for a while, actually. Um, it wasn't until I'd actually started teaching because really my, um, my main experience, my main musical experience is in education. That's where I got my widest experience. And it wasn't until a few years after doing a couple of bits of teaching, a couple of years of teaching, um, that I've got some friends of mine that were in a band and they needed a, a guitarist and a singer. And I joined up and at that point it was, hmm, how would you describe it? Sort of slightly proggy, if, if you like, maybe sort of slightly Jethro Tullish. And uh, it eventually it became a band called Britain who got sort of pigeonholed as being heavy, but we weren't really. Um, and we, we did the classic sort of Birmingham rock scene at the time, places like the Barrel Organ, Mercat Cross, Romeo and Juliet, all of that sort of thing. Um, and one or two of the residencies sort of developed a really good crowd, um, and we did a little bit of recording, but it never really took off in the way that we that we wanted to because it was straddling too many um, genres, if you like. Mm. It wasn't quite rock, it wasn't quite prog, it wasn't modern, it was, you know, what is it? <laughs> so, yeah, sort of lesson learned a little bit there. And from then on, the rest, rest of the band was, was just that band, the core of that band, evolving. Right. And saying, oh, yeah, we, you know, we'd quite like to do this bit. So at one point we went off into the, the sort of area of... Di uh, Explored by Japan, that, that sort of thing, a sort of slightly oriental type sound, more ambient type sounds, um, and eventually just became a full on eighties um, dancey type band with K two, and that's where I met up with Vince, um, our present bass guitarist, because we we dragged him in. We wanted somebody who could play um, some slappy funk type stuff, because that was the the thing to do at the time. So, yeah, we advertised for a, a bass guitarist in EK, um, 
and did the business. You played like stink. <laughs> played fantastic, you were. And the situation with K2 got quite interesting, didn't it, in terms of yeah. reaction? and Yeah, well, I mean, we did get a record deal, although, um, again, it didn't really go particularly wonderfully. But it was, we, we had some great times in that band, in that we were sort of travelling around the country. We did some recording um, in what, some, some good studios. We, we spent a couple of weeks at Utopia, which was a Utopia village in, in London, working with Dave Harris, D. Harris of fashion at the time, who were uh, big on the Birmingham scene and big in the international scene. They, they, they were a, a cracking band, and he was, he was a really good producer. And he gave us a slightly more electronic-type feel which suited what we were doing. Um, and it was in that period that we got picked up by uh, the Boomtown Rats, if this is what you're referring to. Um, and we were down to do a support tour with them. They, we did a, um, I don't know how you describe it, as a sort of showcase gig, I suppose, down in London. Tipped up, played our stuff, they liked what they heard. And we were due to... Um, due to tour with them. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on which side of the, uh, the coin you, you want to look at, um, this was just after Live Aid, uh, which I suppose meant that the Boomtown Rats weren't exactly at their pomp, if you like. Um, and it meant that Bob, Bob, <laughs> went off and decided he was going to go off to Africa and uh, spend all the money that was, you know, make sure that everything was being done proper over there after Live Aid. And uh, we hung around for a bit, waiting for this tour to happen, and uh, it didn't. So, yeah, all of a sudden we were left high and dry. It's a bit of a shame, really, but still. And what happened after that? After, the, after that, I went back into teaching. Oh. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I was I was actually science trained, but um, just to say, I mean, with K two, did it just fizzle out then? It just fizzled out because eventually the, the the work had dried up. The people that were running us, the uh, the, the organisation that was running us, had, had sort of run its run its course, and uh, you know they, they decided there's only so much money you can put into it. And I suppose the with the uh, the Boomtown Rats thing not happening, um, people got. Uh, not put off, but you, you, you sort of lose the energy for it, mm. and eventually, yeah, eventually it just died. I've got some some stuff around with it, but and, and, and also it was it was ironic, really, that um, we eventually uh, ditched the more electronic stuff and went into a sort of slightly soul era, if you want to sort of categorise it, sort of slightly simply red-ish, um, with percussion players and uh, saxophone and what have you, and that actually was the best stuff that I've ever done uh, until we started doing the stuff with Rebecca. Right. Um, but it was too late, you know, it was like the moment had passed, mm. so mm. it's not going to happen after that. Okay, so that had all fizzled out. You, went, you, you were back in teaching. Yeah. Did, did, in what sense did music carry on for you? Was it right. a hobby? or? A... Well, um, I went back into teaching at... Um, at a school in the middle of Birmingham, Small Heath School, fairly close to the Blues Ground, for people who know about Birmingham City. Um, and I was just in there doing supply. And I was, I was carrying on writing, 
because we, we'd still got publishing to do, even though we weren't actually playing. So um, we, we were sending stuff off to London and they were having a listen to us and hey, yeah, we might be able to use this, might not be able to use it, etc. And um, while I was doing this supply, there was a, uh, a competition. I'm trying to remember what magazine it was. I think it might have been Sand on Sand magazine. And um, it was one of these, send off your tapes and you can win a course on blah, blah, blah. So I thought, right, we'll have a bit of this. Put together a, a tape of a cassette, by the way. CDs hadn't been invented <laughs> at this point. Or if they had, we, we, you know, we weren't posh enough to have any of them. Um, of various stuff that, that I'd got recorded. And uh, blow me down with a feather. Um, I won it. So I then spent... Um, a week down in, uh, I don't know, sort of Luton Way? I can't remember where it was. Oh, you'd have remembered if you'd been to Luton, trust uh, me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was down there anyway. Um, at um, a, a Yamaha thing. Oh, I know where it was now. It was Milton Keynes because it was where they do the, uh, what's the Open University? The Open yeah, yeah, University yeah. Milton Keynes, yeah. So I, I went down there and did a uh, a week's residential course with Yamaha and while I was down there I met up with a bunch of guys who were in teaching and um, they the music teachers that were in teaching and they were busy setting up studios um, and they were obviously down there to sort of blag some gear off Yamaha or find out the best way of doing it you know that sort of uh, that sort of carry on and having spent a, a, a week there I came back to Small East, Small East School and said, um, yeah, it's a fantastic week I've just been on. Um, and these guys are setting up studios. It's sort of given me an idea, Kachin. Um, and as it happened, they hadn't got a music department at all. National curriculum was just coming in and you've got to have a music department. So you put the two things together, all right, I'll run a music department, even though I'm not classically trained. I'll get round that somehow. Um, if we can set up a studio, right? It sound like Del Boy or something. <laughs> you know, I'll do your deal. You're all you're safe with me. Um, and blow me, they went for it. And uh, the guy who was uh, sort of the outreach bloke, sort of getting in touch with industry, had got a really good contact with Casio. And Casio were big on keyboards at the time. And they said they would sponsor us to, to set up a studio. Um, the, the school went grant-maintained, so it got control of its, uh, its own budget. So budget wasn't a, a major problem. Um, I said, yeah, OK, if I can use the studio to record my own stuff, then um, fine, I'll, I'll put in some of my gear, you put in some of your gear, everybody's happy, away we go. And that's how I ended up teaching music. Um, which was a bloody nightmare, to be honest, because I ended up with um, three years with uh, nine groups in each year, and I was the only music teacher. Music teachers will experience what this is like. You're the only person. You're a one-man show. Become report time. What's nine times nine? No, three times. Uh, 36 groups of nine, uh, 30 kids, and I've got to handwrite all of these reports. And I'm thinking, what on earth have I done? Um... But yeah, that's so. Then that I'm off on on that tack. 
And, sure, yeah. it doesn't take too long to write, must try hard, like, <laughs> 900 times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cannot, it hasn't, hasn't got a musical bone in his body. Uh, substitute his or her. Um, yeah, so uh, that, that, that's where I ended up then for whew, a lot of years. What happened with the, the music department there, though, um, it, was, it, was, it was well placed, to be honest, because I was in an area where music wasn't the thing to do. It was a very um, Muslim-centred area, and it's not that you didn't have musical kids. There were some very, very able musical kids, but not trained at all. Mostly singers, the sort of, sort of people that Bex knows when, when she does her vocal tuition and what have you. Um, but it, was, it, it, it became apparent that we were doing stuff in the school that was sort of fairly out there, if you like, in terms of recording and, and having a, what was a fairly prestigious music department. And it got picked up by lots of people in Birmingham and uh, got picked up by Symphony Hall. I ended up being on the Symphony Hall Advisory Group. Work that out, isn't it? Was it an acronym? Symphony Hall Advisory Group. Yes. I, I, I swear <laughs> they set this up just so they could have that title. Um, and, and we had lots of, uh, lots of things coming in, projects coming into the school that I, I don't think many other schools would have had happening. Um, and I ended up working with all sorts of people. I ended up working with the Welsh National Opera, who came in and did a project, and I'd take kids out to, uh, to see them rehearse, and we'd go and see them perform. We'd get some um, soloists come in and demonstrate what they could do. And it was the first time that I've actually stood next to a full-on uh, operatic soprano. And my God, it takes your ears out. You know, you talk about rock and roll and winding up your amp to 11. Nothing compared to this. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, we had a, 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 an orchestra come in, which is called the um, Grand Union Orchestra. Fantastic thing. It pulled in all sorts of people from all over the world. Um, did projects with schools, and the schools went out and performed with them. So I had a guy come over from Africa, and he sets up with this African harp called the Kora, which uh, I, I can't even describe how, how this thing looks. It's like a massive great big gourd which he puts on his lap. And then he's got two, two sets of strings which he then plays, plays with. Um, Symphony Hall did a load of stuff. Uh, CBSO ended up doing quite a lot of work with the CBSO. And um, it, it, it was it, uh, an amazing experience. But damn hard work because you're running all the all the groups yourself and then you're, you're traveling with them after school etc but uh, yeah fantastic and r really fortunate to have great people at small heath who uh, were supporting this sort of stuff uh, you, you've told a story uh, about uh, you, you said you had lots of people coming in to mm. see the kids but you told a story once about some guy turning up and you, you weren't aware of him but he turned out to be sort of musical royalty of, of the day, a major security operation ensued. Oh, my life, yes. Um, what, one of the other upsides of this is that... Um, actually, I need, need to move on a, a little bit more now because eventually the, the music department and the drama department, who are a very good friend of mine, um, who ran the drama department, 
um, we joined forces and became expressive arts, which then eventually joined forces with art and draw and dance and what have you. We became um, uh, creative arts uh, faculty, if you like, and uh, I, was, I ended up in charge of all of that, which meant you've got a great big group of people with, that, that hold a lot of power, and we were doing some great work. And um, it meant that you'd got people um, who would contact the school team. Can we bring in our artists? We had an agent phone up or a manager phone up. Can, you, um, can we bring our artists down and we'll, we'll do a free show for you. Um, can you guarantee that that show will be watched by X number of kids? Um, and uh, we'll, we'll just come and play for you. Yeah, great, do it. So we had various bands come in and solo artists and what have you. And uh, I had this one lad who was uh, sort of proposed to me come in. I can't remember his name, unfortunately. As you can tell, my memory's pretty useless. Um, but I did sort of mention the fact that this, this kid was coming into some of the girls at the school. And I had sort of squeals. <laughs> I, I, I should have realised at the time what I was getting myself into. Because he was like the, the, the local, um, or at least the up-and-coming heartthrob, rap-type artist. Anyway, word got around that he was coming in on this, I think it was a Thursday afternoon, and uh, th there was a whole buzz went around the school. And this kid tipped up with his minders, and the place went into complete meltdown. I had to sort of smuggle him in like the Beatles out, out, out of the, of the side of a car. Um, there was a whole social area full of kids where the drama studio was who weren't going to go to their lesson because they wanted to hear this, this kid. Uh, we, we obviously, we filled the room with all of our drama departments and what have you, but there were, sort of, there were girls begging to get in to see this lad. And um, when he finished, he was mobbed, full stop. He was mobbed. So I, it was the arm round the, the shoulder, the full-on James Brown thing, you know, the cloak and all the rest. <laughs> and we smuggled him out through one of the back doors of the school. Um, and <laughs> I don't know how that went down with the rest of the school, but it certainly caused a buzz in the area. Yeah, pretty crazy, pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, I wish I could remember what his name was. I don't think he went on to do anything famous, but uh, yeah, uh, happy days, as they say. If you heard a bit of tip-tapping on the floor, then I should have said at the outset, dog-based interruptions today are being provided by Frank Burkett. He's been being very good. He's just had his breakfast, so you might have been belching at various yeah, points as well. He's just come come across for, to, to sit and have a bit of fuss while we, while we talk. So, let, as I said, the, the idea at the beginning is to bring us up to the point sure. where you and Re Rebecca met. So, let, let's just close off that... that latter period there's a right. time as a teacher what, what happened then? right the thing is thank you Frank that's right. very good um, working in a music department like that you end up having to play everything <laughs> right so it's like you have to teach yourself how to play keyboards piano you have to teach yourself obviously I've got a guitarist and a singer um, I ended up learning to play saxophone flute uh drums, uh, lots of Asian instruments, because we were in a very Asian area, so uh, sitar, tambura, um, doll, tabla, all of those things. 
and we, we would get peripatetic teachers coming in and I'd sit in in their lessons. Um, spent some fascinating time over in Handsworth at a little bookshop over there where they sell Asian instruments, um, having tabla lessons. Yeah, little six-year-old kids would come in and you'd be like, and you'd be going, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe it's not in my genes, but I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, they, they were just fantastic. But yeah, the amazing times, and, it, and that, that sort of developed um, a whole skill set, if you like, that doesn't sound too pretentious, on, on various instruments. And also with the recording side of it, the recording studio, obviously, um, I was recording people coming in as well as the kids that were in the school and uh, developing, again, a skill set in recording. Although at the time it was reel to reel tape and great big desks and what have you, it wasn't until the latter period that we started moving into, onto computers and Ataris were the first one. Do you remember Ataris? They were the first, first computer based things that I recorded on and eventually onto a Mac. So I'd reached a point at, uh, where I'd, I'd sort of got this skill set and um, I was sort of thinking, well, okay, I'm doing a lot of work for school. I could do with doing something for myself. And uh, it was like, okay, let's go out and see what see what's around. Nothing too taxing. So covers bands came into it. So I ended up joining a couple of covers bands and uh, still play with Bill, a, a classical guitarist with a, a, a duo called Acoustica. It's a really nice combination. Bill had turned up at school to do some uh, classical guitar lessons and I'd sat, sat in on a couple of those and we ended up playing and uh, there's a good little, good little bit of magic there. So that, yeah, that got me out playing again. Um, even though I probably hadn't got time to do it, and I was probably just burning the candle at both ends. But it, it meant that I'd got something there that was, if you like, for me, as well as all the stuff that I was, uh, I was putting, into the, putting into the kids. Um, but yeah, eventually, I suppose I'd sort of reached a point where I'd almost burnt out. There was almost too much going on. So I decided I'd get to a certain point, and I'd just take early retirement and see what happened after that. And uh, I'd got enough. I'd got enough work going on in terms of covers bands to cover it, cover the difference in uh, in salary. Um, and I thought, well, you know, let's let's make a, a new start at, at that sort of age. And that's roughly where we were when we met up with Bex. Excellent. Well, thank you. Fascinating stuff. Really, really interesting. And I hope everyone who's listening in has enjoyed it as much as I have and it does bring us very nicely to the point where you two met and got together and we will look at that almost certainly in the next episode which will be due out in two weeks time. Once again thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, as ever if you've comments, feedback, uh, questions please do get in touch via any of the normal means through Facebook, Twitter message, email uh, or or what with carrier pigeon, carrier pigeon. What, what, yeah, what semaphore semaphore yeah well semaphore might be a bit difficult but uh, please, yeah um, love to hear from you so thanks very much Steve for your Great time, time. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, thank you everybody for listening in very much look forward to the next episode which will be out in a couple of weeks time when oh my goodness me I'll have Steve and Rebecca to keep under control and one possibly even two canine <laughs> observers in the background Excellent. anyway until then Thank you very much. Goodbye, everyone. Cheers, all. Thank you for listening to Downs Your Way. 
For further information on the music and to purchase albums and other merchandise, please visit www.rebeccadowns.com. This episode's merchandise discount code is BIRKETT, all in capitals B-I-R-K-E-T-T. This will give you a 5% discount applied at checkout and will be valid for two weeks from Monday the 7th of October 2019.